good news is often hard to find, isn't it? The truth is, is that we all have access to be informed of what's going on around us, whether it's turning on our television sets and watching the local or the national news, or whether we read the news from a newspaper or even online. Breaking news happens every single day, and truth be told, breaking news sometimes happens every single hour. But I've noticed that most of the news stories that we hear about and that we see on our television sets are based on the bad things that have happened or are happening around us. And certainly there are a lot of bad things that happen day to day, but the truth is is that there are good things that are happening every single day too that are never reported. I find that we live in an age where the news is controlled where narratives are pushed, leading those who read or view them to a biased outcome. Now, there was a time in our country where the news was simply the news, and I'm not saying that there was never a bias. A bias has always existed, but it wasn't hinged on such a huge political divide. And so today, it's kind of hard to know who's telling us the whole truth. We live in such a polarized society, don't we? Pointing fingers and accusations have become the new way of life. Demonizing the other has become a political way of life. But we live in a red and blue divide where opposing ideologies have pushed people further apart rather than seeking to find common ground together. And it's not just policy-driven. I think we even see this polarity during this COVID-19 outbreak when the one thing that affects every single one of us should bring about unity still brings division. Narratives are being controlled on both sides of the aisle. For instance, are the death tolls accurate? And are they being used to scare us or to present a true and accurate picture of how serious this virus is? Should you wear a mask in public or not? Civility in our country has hit an all-time low. A colleague of mine shared a story about his seminary friend, a pastor in Georgia, who was confronted by a man outside of a shopping center who said some harsh words to him, and then spit in his face because he was wearing a mask. And after my pastor friend shared this on his Facebook page, someone immediately branded it as fake news. Even the church is not immune to such narratives. We live in the same state, the same nation, and the same world. In fact, there's great division right now among our congregations and how they're responding to COVID-19 right now. Some immediately rushed into their buildings the Sunday after the federal judge overturned Governor Cooper's orders declaring it unconstitutional because they believe that everything is overhyped, while others remain skeptical of doing such things because they seek to protect the most vulnerable. There are some who believe that the government is trying to take away their right to worship, while others applaud the safety measures acknowledging that the church isn't a building and never stopped worshiping in the first place. Is this political? Some would say so, while others would vehemently disagree. You see, I suppose it's all about the narratives that we choose to believe. Today is Pentecost Sunday, 
often referred to as the birthday of the church. And we celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit that came upon the first disciples with power and enabled them to speak to all who were present in Jerusalem for the Pentecost festival. Pentecost is a Jewish celebration referred to as the Festival of Weeks, which originally celebrated the end of the spring harvest, but later it involved into a celebration of the law given to Moses on Mount Sinai. Penta in Greek means 50. And so Pentecost marks the 50 days after the first Passover in Egypt when Moses was given the Ten Commandments. Jews from all over the known world had gathered in Jerusalem 50 days after Passover to celebrate this festival. And the disciples were there too because the risen Christ had commanded them to remain there until they received the gift that his father had promised to them. And so they gathered there in a house, more than likely avoiding the crowds and specifically the chief priests and the teachers of the law. You see, it had only been 50 days since Jesus was crucified there in Jerusalem. And I'm sure there was hesitation and fear for them to remain there because the same chief priests and teachers of the law who got Jesus crucified, well, they have the potential to do the same to them. The news of Jesus' death was still the talk of the town, even though some time had now passed. Some believed the disciples' proclamation that Jesus had risen from the dead, while others thought it was all a hoax. You see, there was a counter-narrative being shared to prevent the spread of the resurrection story. Matthew tells us this in Matthew 28, verses 11 through 15. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You were to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. You see, the chief priests were trying to control the narrative to keep their positions of power and to prevent people from believing that Jesus indeed was the Messiah. And it seemed to be working out just fine until Pentecost came. Jesus' promise to his disciples saying, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth would finally come true. It began when the disciples heard a violent wind that filled the whole house where they were staying. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The Spirit of God came upon them and moved them right into action. God would set the record straight, changing the false narrative to the truth of Christ's glorious resurrection. The good news of Jesus would no longer be kept quiet or hindered by a false story. Instead, those who had been scared to speak up were moved by the power of the Holy Spirit out of the house and into the streets. The Spirit enabled them to speak freely and openly with all who had come to the festival in Jerusalem. Now, it's important to note that those who had gathered there not only spoke their native languages from where they were from, but many of them spoke either Greek or Aramaic, the common languages shared by all. 
But the disciples were not speaking Greek or Aramaic. Instead, they were speaking in their native languages. And this is what caught everyone's attention. This is what caused bewilderment amongst everyone who was there because apparently there were some people there who knew that these disciples were uneducated Galileans. Maybe it was their accent or maybe they recognized them from when they were following Jesus around. But nonetheless, these backcountry Galileans were doing something supernatural. And this gets their attention as they heard the wonders of God being shared with them in their own language. In fact, this prompts Peter, filled with the Spirit, to stand up and to preach the very first sermon, exclaiming the good news of Jesus' love and grace, of his forgiveness to all who wanted him dead, proclaiming that he indeed is the Lord and the Messiah, using the Old Testament to explain it. Many there were captivated by his message, and they repented, and they were baptized into the faith. The church was born that day when about 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus. God's timing was impeccable, drawing people from all over the place to receive his message and then to go back to their homes to share with their families and with their friends. Jesus' promise that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem had come true. And Pentecost was the spark plug that fired up the engine to take the good news everywhere. In fact, if you think about it, we are recipients of the good news of Pentecost as the church faithfully continued to share this message about Jesus. And now we are participants of the church entrusted with doing the same. Now, I think all of us know that very often many people refer to us Presbyterians as the frozen chosen. We typically don't get too excited or moved to stand up and testify to God's love and grace in our lives. And it's not that we don't acknowledge or believe in it at all. We certainly do. We're just more reserved about it than others are. So we prefer to write eloquent poems or letters or messages that share this good news rather than rushing out into the streets, sharing it there. In fact, I believe we have a tendency to share the good news through our actions rather than through our words. Now, since January, I have been working on a mini project for my doctoral program, and I just wrapped this up two weeks ago, and next week I will be sharing it with my professors and with my colleagues in my cohort. My project is specifically about the church's need to establish what I'm calling non-traditional ministries within our communities to reclaim our calling as apostles, the sent ones, reaching out to people right where they are rather than just expecting them to show up to our church. And so I surveyed pastors of Salem Presbytery to provide insight on how we Presbyterians prefer to share the good news. And honestly, I wasn't surprised by the results, but I was taken back by one of the responses. Essentially, from this survey, it was made clear that Presbyterians view mission as synonymous with evangelism and discipleship. In other words... Doing mission work is sharing the good news with our actions as we care for the least of these. But when asked if it was important to verbally share Christ with those with whom we serve, over half of the respondents, pastors, 
said that it was not necessary. They believe that people will see Jesus in us, and therefore there's no need to talk about him. But I believe that Pentecost gives us a very different picture, doesn't it? I mean, many people didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah at all. They thought it was all a hoax. And the disciples didn't provide a service for physical needs of the people who were gathered there when they came out of their house and into the streets. Instead, they shared a powerful message of Christ's love, grace, and forgiveness, especially of his salvation. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that enabled timid and scared disciples to step out of their comfort zones and to encounter people who needed to hear the truth. And in doing so, the church came into being. You know, I think it's great that we can help others who are in need. In fact, Presbyterians are pretty remarkable when it comes to doing such things and providing care and compassion for the poor and the marginalized and the destitute. I find that our faith and our deeds complement one another as we respond together in action. And I want to commend the efforts of our congregation in doing these things as we uh, think about the ways in which we serve so many of you, give of your time, and even of your money and resources to help others in need. But that's not all we're called to do. We are also called to be Pentecostal Presbyterians. You see, the same spirit that came upon the disciples at Pentecost is the same Spirit of God who fills our hearts and enables us to speak the truth of God's good news. And in a world where good news is so often hard to find, we are sent out as Christ's apostles to proclaim it. And we can provide services and care for those who need it most, but we do it in the name of Jesus, not just because we're good people or because we're morally right. Our outward responses are led by an inward presence of the Holy Spirit who has claimed us and sealed us and enables us to do what we couldn't otherwise do on our own. And for this very reason, we are called to share this good news with our lips as well as our lives. The Apostle Paul says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You see, as we walk with the Holy Spirit, we will naturally bear the fruit of the Spirit, which is a living testimony to God's work in our lives. Yes, living by the Spirit means that we will live contrary to the ways that are so prevalent in our society today. Instead of being selfish, we will be selfless. Instead of demonizing the other, we will welcome them. Instead of pointing fingers and raising our voices, we point people to Christ and bow our lives to him. And instead of being led by false narratives that lead us to division and disunity, we are united by the way and the truth and the life in Jesus Christ. And as Christians, particular Pentecostal Presbyterians, we celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit 50 days after Jesus was crucified during Passover because the Holy Spirit empowers us to do what we cannot do merely on our own. And when given the opportunity to proclaim his goodness and his love, his compassion, his forgiveness, his healing and mercy, his grace and his salvation, 
We trust the Holy Spirit to open up our mouths, giving us the words of life to be shared. In a world where good news is desperately needed, we have been given and entrusted with the best news that we could possibly share. So friends, since we are led by the Spirit, may we also walk with the Spirit sharing this good news in both word and in our deeds that others might come to faith in Jesus Christ and participate in the church's life and calling together. Friends, may it be so this day and forevermore in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.